food blessings on all of our extended families. Encourage our time this morning and invite your presence with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All right. So let's open up to Mark chapter 11. That's where we'll start today. And um, I'm just going to read the first almost, you know, two-thirds of this. And then we'll come back and circle back and uh, talk about it as we begin. So I'm going to read Mark 11, verses 1 through 25. Okay, and then we'll come back. So here we go, Mark 11, 1. So when they are approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed him, them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they, they, uh, that they had cut in the fields. Then they who went ahead and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our ancestor, uh, coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if I say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you will say will come to pass, 
it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received, it will you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so uh, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Alright, so that's a big chunk, but I feel like a lot of this kind of all goes together. Um, so much so that you also have like flip back to Mark 10 and see what's the, what's the story right before this is where Jesus is going to go heal a guy named Blind Bartimaeus. And he's walking by through Jericho in verse 46 of chapter 10. Um, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. In verse 47, um, Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing and he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we talked about you know this title, son of David, is this messianic hope, this messianic title, this kingdom title, right? So what... What do you see in this, this passage of him? And like, let's go back to Mark 11, 1 through 11 here, this triumphal entry. And you know, if, if you were in first service this morning, right, we were talking about awaiting of the king. Like the, the, this season of Advent that we're entering into now is this season of waiting. I couldn't help but think about this passage that we're talking about today, about how this is, this is like the Messianic secret in this part is kind of over. You know, this the waiting at, at this part is, you know, it's at hand. Um, what do you see in this in this passage? What are things that you've heard about how this triumphal entry is his is Jesus' announcement of his kingdom, like his arrival? What's he doing here that betrays him as a king? I go back to the, uh, you know, the uh, first of all, the idea that he is choosing to live a certain lifestyle and choosing to dismiss himself of the world's riches or wealth or anything, but he has command over it and has it instantly at his disposal. Right. Instantly. The other time was the upper room. Yeah. During Passover. And he's got an upper room. Yeah. He's got, is, go that, get a cult. I'm right. I mean, just boom. That is never talked about that much. Like, how did that how did that work out? Like, I don't, you know. I mean, I, did he did he talk beforehand with these owners? Did they know beforehand? I don't I don't know. Did, I wonder, did they have a dream? It said it. It goes back and says, the prophets, he will enter God probably had a sense of humor, a sense of irony, and those of you that have been to the Mount of Olives and from Bethpage down to to uh, Jerusalem, half the road is still there, the street is still there. So you walk down the street. I cannot describe how steep it is. It's just. There's no street in Brentwood that's <laughs> steep. That's cool. All the way down. Now, take, picturing Jesus taking a colt which had never been ridden and getting on this colt and making your way down the street, mm -hmm. mind you, 
Can you imagine a colt riding a colt like that? It would be skittish and skidding all the way down the hill. The irony, mm -hmm. he, he, by doing this very act, he's pointing what you expected. Right. This is not what This is not what you expected. Ze Zechariah has 14 chapters. And so Zechariah 9.9 9, uh, says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the fold of a donkey. Verse 10 says, He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from river to the ends of the earth. From the root. So, uh, Zechariah has kind of two different parts. The first part, 1 through 8, is some oracles and some visions. And then 9 through 14 is this new part where it kind of enters in. It talks about this God as a divine warrior going to come and, and help redeem Israel from their their captivity from their exile right so perhaps there's allusions to what you're talking about to this and this divine warrior but he's not not the divine warrior that they're expecting right not right with a sword in his right. hand and, and riding that charger instead riding a colt mm -hmm. down that steep steep hill right there'd be no presumption that he was an earthly king. He, he had to have some way, because he knew he knew there'd be a huge crowd and everything like that, and people want to make him a king. This is this is not threatening to the Rome. I mean, it's not... He's not coming there to threaten Rome, which is what they want. Right. They want him to come threaten Rome. It's like, okay, I'm going to show you how not threatening to Rome I am. He's, he's definitely coming... Not with this, a, a band of soldiers, you know, but there's there's some. Um, if you're here last year on Palm Sunday or the year before, I forget. Lee Camp did a really beautiful sermon about this, and how he said that this this is a, a, a passage that reminds us that there's room for satire as a Christian discipline, you know. Um, and I just remember that that really stuck out to me because I'd never heard that before. But this is this is not what they're expecting. But there are. There's messianic tones here. I mean, absolutely unmistakable like claims to be a king. Um, so one of the next ones, you know, this in uh, they they're laying down their coats, their cloaks. Um, in Second Kings nine uh, verses, you know, thirteen or let's see, I'll, let me back up. Like there's this this guy named Jehu. He's one of the kings, uh, and he is uh, anointed. And in 13, they said they, they hurriedly took off their cloaks and spread them for him on the bare steps, and they blew a trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So, I mean, perhaps that was like, you know, but like this, this act of taking off your cloaks and putting them on the ground or waving these palm branches are an, uh, an act of kingship. And also, like the other phrase, what, what are they yelling out? They shouted what? Hosanna, blesses the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blesses the kingdom of our ancestor David, Hosanna in the highest. Um, they think that's probably coming from Psalm 118, uh, maybe verses 26 and 27. Just some, some a lifting of their of their songbook, you know, and praising. Um, so he he goes 
Verse 11, is he enters the Jerusalem and he went into the temple and it's like he's checking it out. Okay, he comes in and he looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now you, you mentioned you've been to uh, Jerusalem, right? Have you, have you ever, did you go to Bethany? Bethany's really close by, right? It's, it's like to the east, so I'm told. Vital top of <clears throat> and what's the view that you can see from there? Could you? I mean, like you could see the temple, right? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a place to stay where you have the scenic view of the temple, right? That's what, so. I've read. I've never I have read. not been there. At least, I'm not. Right. Is, it, not. is it about three miles from Jerusalem? Yeah. It's right back. It's really close. He came down that hill to get back to Bethany. He got to go back up that. Right. I've I've read that it, uh, you know, I've never been there, but that you can see the temple. Um, from there, so even alluding to he's staying in Bethany here, he's going yeah. back to Bethany, um, and then like this next story about the fig tree comes, and then he goes to the temple, and then we have the fig tree cursing again. So all this is like leading to I mean his triumphal entry in here in Mark. He goes to the temple, looks around, and it's late, so he goes back, spends the night. Um, so the, you know he, we know that he's gonna he goes and cleanses the temple, right? I've always heard this as a practical story is like there's room for righteous anger right but if this were me usually I would have like brought it out right then probably I would have got really angry and got upset and like went off on and the, the problems that I see in the temple at, at that point so he went back and spent the night he slept on it what he saw and then he came back and wrecked shop you know like um, so I, I always thought that's interesting in one of the other Gospels, is it John, perhaps? He sits down and he makes a whip. He, like, braids the whip you know, that he's going to use to drive drive people out. It's like, he doesn't just fly off the handle here. This, but this story, I think, so there's, there's room here for uh, Christian discipline of, uh, of righteous anger, too, but under control. I mean, under, under the right circumstances like it's okay to get angry about injustice it's probably mandated but it's also not okay to do what I might tend to do is do that have that anger I believe un- uncontrolled and uh, uh, off the cuff perhaps that, that's one of the small things I I take away from this so here's the, the next part about the fig tree <clears throat> all right so it comes to the fig tree verses 12 through 14 and poor little fig tree it's not even the season for figs, it says. And Jesus says, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. What did the poor fig tree do? You know? What do you, what, uh, so it's, it's just setting up the next part. Then he goes into the temple, right? And he sees the people who are selling, buying and selling. Um, and maybe that in and of itself would not have been wrong. But somehow we know that because of his reaction here, that there was an overabundance of, of uh, corruption in this practice. Perhaps taking advantage later on, um, later on in the end of 12, he, he chastises uh, leaders, scribes and Pharisees for uh, taking, care of, you know, taking advantage of widows, devouring their houses. So maybe, maybe yeah. The way this works, remember this Passover, you have... Jerusalem has normally maybe 30,000 people in it. Passover, 
a swell to a quarter right. of a million people. And right. uh, the way it worked, uh, within the temple law, there the uh, uh, court of the Gentiles. Yes. And you would bring your poor little sacrifice or whatever it was. And you had to go past the inspectors of, of uh, your sacrifice. Is it worthy? And most of the time, they would say, that sacrifice is not quite good enough. So, oh, by the way, we have these other doves you can purchase, and they're right here at a really good price. <laughs> well, the Sadducees... $39.95. Three easy installments. Cash and delivery. Control everything. <laughs> and they're the ones that got the profit yeah. from, uh, well, your, your sacrifice is not good enough. <laughs> Go here and buy this good sacrifice. And first of all, they were in the wrong place. You could, you got a quarter of a million people up there on the Temple Mount. Right. And you got all this, these sheep and, and pigeons and whatever it was right there on the table. And just, you can imagine the noise and the smell and everything that's going on. Jesus, it was against the rule for number one to be up there in the Gentile pool. So he was within his right. So what he's doing, he's really making the Sadducees and the rulers. That's where they got their money. Right. Really, really angry. Right, and they're, they're, he's about to go into several dialogues with these same rulers here. Just in the, you know, the next few chapters. The Sadducees and, uh, and other rulers. Uh, so... Um, when, he, when he comes... To this, you know, he's, he alludes to my house shall be a call, house for prayer for all the nations. I, believe it, I looked it up. That's from Isaiah uh, 57, 56, 7. And then in Jeremiah uh, 7, 11, it talks about this den of robbers. So perhaps you've made it a den of robbers. Um, perhaps this is, you know, alluding to something I read, maybe the, the upcoming destruction of the temple, but that's, you know, not necessarily clear. Um, but then you know, the chief priests, verse 18, and the scribes heard it. They kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And then when evening came, and the disciples went out from the city. So they leave the city again. And now, verse 20, they come back. The morning passed by. They see the fig tree that they passed the day before, and it's withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered, and he said, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus said, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you that if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, uh, you know, then he goes on and talks about this really impactful thing about prayer that I, I want to talk about here in a second. But what about this fig tree? What, why is this so, this is such a random thing about, um, so I, there's, there's an allusion to in uh, Jeremiah, you know, 8, 13, where he comes, Yahweh comes to this fig tree that's, that's a figurative symbol of Israel and he finds it fruitless and it leads this leads to this um, it's just part of the, the middle destruction you know oracle of, of Jerusalem I've, I've heard it said I read that if if Israel had a, a state flag or a country flag at this point on it they would they perhaps would have a fig tree on that flag because their their uh, symbology was was really tied to this image of a of a fig tree. Like they would understand that this this fig tree that is symbolized here is probably like 
symbolic of these leaders. Um, and then it goes on, these, these people will uh, next like question him right in this next part. And so it's, it's symbolic of his, um, his rebuke that's coming up here of these leaders. And, uh, and then in, verse, in chapter 12, verses 1 through uh, 12, he tells a whole story about a vineyard too, and this was alluding to a passage from Isaiah. So there's this, there's Israel being depicted as a as a fig tree here, and then later on as a vineyard, and these are pictures from their their history that they would see themselves in. What what else you got on, on this passage? What have, have y'all studied on the fig tree um, allusion to Israel here? And well, I, I have a fig tree. You have a fig tree? Yeah. Cool. Um, and I've never understood why Jesus just walked up and suddenly pronounced this curse on this fig tree because it had leaves. Right. Um, it's not. But here's the deal. A fig tree does not come out with its leaves first. It comes out with the figs first. Okay, and yeah. then the leaves. So when he saw it with leaves, he, he knew right. it was not going to produce fruit. Right. And so, uh, and I, I, I've always believed that that's just uh, a sign. This, these verses we're talking about, we are to produce fruit yes. in our lives, whether it's with our own character or fruit as we work in the kingdom. Absolutely. And so, uh, in Jeremiah, uh, let's see, what is that? 8 verse 13 is, said, I wanted to gather them, says the Lord. But there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, for I gave them what has passed away from them. So this same kind of imagery here of like alluding to, yeah, like we were expecting good fruit from this nation of Israel here, but yet it's it's not there. And so Jesus uh, deals judgment on on those leaders. Yeah. Until just a couple minutes ago, I never tied something. You know, the apostle says, look, it's dead. Mm. And Jesus says, but if you have faith to, you can command a mountain into the sea. Yeah. I don't think that curse is final. Oh, and it's like, if you have <laughs> right. faith, you can ask this big tree to come back to life again. Mm. That's and it cool. will come back to life. And I mean, this is hard, but how about yeah. a mountain? see that's even harder let's let's go there because this is hard this passage like how do you read these next few verses right here like so let's talk about this so yeah go ahead before you go there because you're going to be moving into prayer yeah but um okay so you have this is happening just before all the events of Jerusalem. exactly jeremiah was a statement of the analogy upcoming this is a living analogies. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is referring to what's going to happen, I believe, over the next 30 some odd years that involve even the destruction of Jerusalem. Right? That's what this whole big tree, you know, is it, it was, mm-hmm. you should have, we haven't. Mm-hmm. So we have this, I think there's some connection to that because even before he ends his final discourse, mm-hmm. he's back to this big tree analogy. Yeah. So the because his last part of his discourse talks about when are all these things going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and then we go into the, the, the crucifixion kind of time. Right. 
So I think there's something here which seems really weird because you've seen me at the shop throw yeah. drills away. It's like, <laughs> right. you didn't work when I needed you to. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll get it fixed. <laughs> right. Um, using this kind of analogy, but it's like uh, this, this is a bigger picture uh, a physical analogy of what is actually going to happen to Jerusalem for the next 30 years. Right. And it was time. Maybe. Yeah, and it's, there's something about too. His, he's he's in this position as this king entering into Jerusalem, pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem with this fig tree analogy. And he goes in, he cleanses the temple. I, I just think we have to make sure you read, you know, all of these things in in context and remember the the story that he's Mark is painting with with all of these things. He's chosen these these stories uh, and placed them here in that order to let us. You know, experience them as a whole. Yeah. Well, I think it's right. And, and this is a two part thing here. First part, cursed fig tree, as Wayne says, is not produced fruit. Mm-hmm. And implications as to the to what you're talking about, destruction of Jerusalem, but also a broader implication as to the children of Israel. But he comes back, uh, there's hope in prayer, and God, God can take lifeless things and uh, make them whole again and with the danger of over spiritualizing everything I see a, a, a deeper implication for us mm. you know, uh, uh, Josh talked about uh, uh, that father who lost his two sons and mm-hmm. hopelessness you know, God can redeem right. hopeless dead things mm-hmm. and that's good news. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's important to remember too that this uh, cleansing of the temple is sandwiched in between this fig tree thing. So I, uh, the fig, he comes, you know, sees the fig tree, curses it, cleanses the temple, and then it happens afterwards. He comes back and they see this fig tree again. And so I think that cleansing of the temple being sandwiched in between helps us understand what the fig tree uh, symbolism is about. It's having to do with the leadership in the temple and all the the corruption of Israel, you know, if, if you just read it uh, together like that, it kind of, yeah. Anyways. It's not, I, I may have missed this, but it's always perplexing about this text when it says that when he saw the picture, he saw that it had leaves, one day expected yeah. fruit. But then it comes next and says, but it wasn't the season for fruit. Uh huh. I just thought he didn't like fig trees like I don't like fig trees. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, what is he really talking about when he just says it's not the season for figs, but wouldn't he have dealt that already? Or was he looking for something out of season? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think he knew that it wasn't going to have figs, but it's still, it, it, maybe that's the point. Maybe it's the point of his, uh, you know, you, you said about fig trees. I don't understand fig tree anatomy or sequence right. of fruiting. But you said well, that the fruit comes first and then the leaves. Yes, and so which he, is the only tree that, that I've ever heard of that does that. Right. And uh, as far as the seasons go, uh, it can be up to three times a year. Okay. Uh, the figs will ripen and either fall off or be picked, and then they'll come back with another crop, and then in the fall, if it's still good weather, they'll come back with a third crop. Right. Uh, That's cool. So, I mean, I guess that's maybe why he was going to look and see, you know, are there other... But it, but it, Mark also is alluding that it's not the season for figs. So e- even still, I, you know, I think it's somehow this a fig tree as, the, as a symbol for Israel 
and it's found wanting, even even though um, it looked like a good tree. It, it, looked, it looked like a good tree, but it but it wasn't at, the, at this point, this time. Um, I, I I can't fully explain all of the symbolism because it doesn't make sense much sense to me. But um, but I think having that, at least having the temple in the middle of this story about the fig tree, gives me a, a anchor point to realize there's that's mainly that's the main point of this story. That's what that's what I feel like. Um, but there, but I do know that you know I've read there's the Israel uses their symbolism as a fig tree is strong uh, with, with seeing them they would see themselves as this fig tree probably. Well, so we get, uh, I have no clue as to how it's going to happen. It right. Alludes to in Romans mm-hmm. that uh, will be grafted. The, uh, oh, grafted in. Grafted back in. And right. I, I don't know how that works. Right. Uh, but I think it's probably, but God can do the impossible. Right. And he, he, he does illustrate that in the, in, in the verses that you just read. Right. How I'll, that's going to work, I don't know. Right. I, I want to, I, I want to, let's, let's talk about prayer here. And so this is one of the strongest passages. If you just read it at face value, strongest passages about prayer that Jesus, you know, ever talks about some. I mean, well, as strong. Um, the, but what do we do with this? Uh, because I, I some I want I want to say somehow this is symbolic, allegorical. How do we place this in our understanding of the real life situations that we've had when we pray? Then also other scriptures that talk about how. Um, Christians will be persecuted and life will be hard and take up your cross daily and follow after me things like this so let's read so he says Jesus in 22 says have faith in God truly I tell you if you say to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and if you do not doubt in your heart but believe that what you will say will come to pass it will be done for you so I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you've received it and it will be yours then there's this part about uh, forgiveness here in verse 25. He says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. That reminds me of you know, a lot of the Lord's Prayer, right? The line there in the Lord's Prayer. What about this passage here of, uh, to this mountain, thrown to the sea? If you have faith in your heart, believe. It will come to pass. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you've received it, and it will be yours. How do y'all read this? It's comforting on one hand, but it's also confusing on the other. Right? Is he maybe? I mean, it's all within that passage about the temple and Mm -hmm. turning the tables over and the fig tree and everything else is it saying is he saying I'm pronouncing this on the on the the temple on the temple and that I that that seems to be a logical you know uh, move uh, in the context Um, then it's forgiveness so it's is he upset? I mean, is he realize he's upset and he's asking for free? I mean, I always wondered. I'm like, is that is he asking for forgiveness because he was angry, or is he saying, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I don't read it that way. I don't read him. I think he's teaching us about prayer. I do think in verse twenty-five, to me, it's much. It sounds very similar when he taught us in the Lord's prayer. You know, forgive us our trespasses that we may. You know. Um, okay, Indians. I'm thinking about this. Um, although we have all these, even and I just spoke some while ago. Deeper thinking about what the fig tree and Israel and future Christians may be. The only part that Jesus picks up on to discuss what the fig tree was about in this passage has to do with, okay, he cursed the tree, he had the thing happen, they come back and they ask about the tree, look, he goes into the one reason we know for certain the tree was cursed was to describe this event concerning faith, which makes this even more challenging. This is the only answer he's given us about the tree right now. Is that if they go, hey, we're amazed that this thing is cursed. His answer is, have faith in God. Almost the next part is, you think that's something? You can tell a whole mountain to go into right. if you have that kind of... So whatever we thought about the analogy a while ago, the analogy is supposed to get across at least this point that we're struggling with concerning prayer. Mm-hmm. Even, even though it may have some of these other deeper ones unknown yet, mm-hmm. the one he does speak about this that tree that I cursed a while ago, let's talk about your speech, believing in God, and what he can do with it. And sure. Let's move it into the realm of prayer. Your prayer, your speech, faith in God. Like, yeah, now that's, but that's one thing we do know the analogy. Here's, here's one thing I'll throw out to you, though, is have you ever asked for something in prayer and believed that you will receive it and it not be yours? Yeah, there's the, there's the stuff. <laughs> I mean, have you? I, I have. I mean, so what do we do with that? I'm not, are we not faithful? I, I think we have to read this in context of our our Christian experiences, church history, and the the whole other you know teachings about prayer and the promises of persecution, the promises of hard life, promises of God's presence with you no matter what. You know, and I think you have to read that all in context because I think it, for me it's dangerous just to say. Oh well, you know, but but yeah, but for for here in this point, maybe maybe we just need to stop there. In this situation, he was pointing out this tree, fig tree, was it died because I have a lot of faith in God. You know, it, I like in verse twenty-two it says, "Have faith in God." You know, Jesus is always quick to point to you know your faith in God is what heals you. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I I feel like it's a challenging passage. And it's encouraging in that having your having faith in God makes your powers more effective. I mean, is is that is that what you, I mean? It's, it seems to allude to that. Well, Nick, the, all these passages are metaphors for something. Sure. Yeah. Jesus used hyperbole. Absolutely. And that, all you have, we have to we have to come across with illustrating other things. So here we go. We read this, then we get to this passage. Now this is that. Uh, now this part is literal, right here. Yeah. This part is literal. This part is fiction. And, and, and we need to get into the context. Absolutely. Of what Jesus is talking about. Uh, now it's possible. I don't know how. Maybe it gives you bulldozers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah. But uh, I, we get we get in danger when we mix these passages. Uh, what is here? What does this mean to us? The implications. So we need to get back to the context. I know, and I I think that's very helpful for me because I you know I want us to to not look at this passage and be like, well, my prayers are no good because I've never I've never prayed and seen a mountain fly into the. I, you know. I have. I, I mean, I guess you just have to live more. Right. I have. Had God give me what I asked for. Absolutely. And then I've had the implication. Right. So, some of that's, you know, like Solomon asked for wisdom. Sure. He got it. Right. He got a whole lot more responsibility after that, too. Absolutely. A heavy weight of the greatest kingdom on earth. So, I, I've learned to ask God for things. But also, in the same time, okay, God, what am I really asking? Right. And I'm ready to hear the implications of what I'm really asking before I really ask it. Right. Also, I think, you know, when we pray, we expect it to be answered instantaneously. Oh, right. Yeah. And our timing is not the same as God's timing. Right. Um, so, you know, one thing that I pray about I would love to see it happen instantly. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see it happen in my lifetime. I've had to accept the fact that um, it may not happen in my lifetime, but that doesn't mean that I believe in less that it could happen. Right. Wasn't the majority of Mark's benefit to the apostles? Like it was his whole discipleship of the apostles, so the lesson here was for the disciples, right? Like it was for them, for yeah. the apostles to learn the, faith, because he still didn't see them yeah, you're, have the faith yet. You're that, making the point that, that we are saying, hey, let's put this in the bigger context of, of what's right. going on in, in the gospel. That's good. you know. And that, so I think it's helpful to be able to see ourselves and see, yes, I've had prayers answered. I can see this these, these tenets in my life, but also to Step back and say, like, this is part of a whole large story, and and not to only take it out and apply it just these two, three verses just for us. Agnes. Also, at times, though, we need to think about the medium from which the prayer goes through. Okay, wait. Is this thing in line with God's mm-hmm. Are we playing, praying in line with what God wants for His people? Right. And I think that has a piece of the indication. Um, answer prayers, you know, and sometimes when you ask for certain things, they make it in ways you never experienced. Right. You know, in my life, I never forget. It was really big to me without one time I was kneeling down asking God to strengthen my faith and my patience. <laughs> no. And, yeah. And, and, and three weeks later, my house burned down. Oh yeah. And then six months later, I, I had a car wreck. <laughs> you know, and in the midst of all of that, guess what happened? Yeah. I got what I asked for. Mm-hmm. My faith was strengthened and my patience was lifted. Yeah. Know, in that turmoil and in that tragedy. I, I remember a time I asked God, please just strengthen me as a man. Right. And my dad was taken from me the next year. I had to get stronger. Right. But God has a way of moving us in ways that we never thought about when we ask for certain things. Right. And uh, all about that, I believe the medium in which we ask it is it in line with where he wants you to go in the kingdom. 
is it in that screen he has proposed for you before the bounds of time? Right. You know, so I think that plays into it too. Absolutely. Yeah, this is not this is not a full treatise on how prayer works or right. doesn't work or 